we have the same conversation starter in January. It's how was your Christmas and how was your New Year's, right? That's just what we do. It's the kind thing. It's the polite thing to say. So many of you did that to me last week. You said, Brian, how was your Christmas? How was your New Year's? And, and I told you, oh, it was great. We were with the family. We had a good time. We traveled. We loved it. It's good to be back. And then I'd ask you the same thing. How was your Christmas? How was your New Year's? And uh, it's not that I lied to you about that, but I did leave out a pretty major part of, of that. Just for time's sake, you didn't want me to go into the story last week, but I feel I was a little convicted this last week. I need to tell you. So yes, we had a great Christmas as a family. We had a great New Year's as a family. We did. We traveled up to visit our family in Indiana and Ohio. The trip up to Indiana was the worst trip we have ever had in our entire life, though, ever. So when you heard me say, oh, yeah, we had a good trip, I was excluding the one day of travel on December 26th. So let me help you understand a little bit of what happened on the 26th for the Haas family. We load all of our kids up in the minivan, and because we're going up for Christmas for two different families, you can imagine cramming the minivan full of not just our stuff, but all those presents that were given to our, our nieces and nephews and everybody else. It was one of those situations where when you shut the, the back trunk, you say, it's shut, no one open it until we get there. It was one of those packing scenarios. Nod your head if you've been there, done that before. All right, good. So what we did, we proceeded to go and get the kids lunch. We're on our way up to visit our family, excited about Christmas and New Year's with our families. And we go through a Chick-fil-A drive-thru real quick to get lunch for everybody. And we have a major, I mean major lemonade spill in the back seat. And when I say major lemonade spill, it's not just the seats, but those seats go into the trunk where all of our stuff is already packed. So here we are in the middle of the Chick-fil-A parking lot during lunch rush hour, completely unpacking all of our stuff to clean up and wipe up the lemonade and then repack everything back in. And that was at the Dawsonville Chick-fil-A. Thank you very much. <laughs> Hadn't even made it out of the county yet, and here we are. Becky and I looked at each other like, this is not gonna be a good trip. That was the first of a total of three times throughout this trip that we would have to unpack our minivan in a parking lot. That was the first one. Let me tell you about the second one. Second one, we're about halfway, not quite to Knoxville. I look in my rearview mirror and I see one of my kids in the back seat getting sick. I don't need to go into details everywhere. So I quickly, quickly get off the interstate, truly thank God, and if anybody from pilot customer service or corporate is watching, thank you. We put into a pilot gas station and we once again, pull everything out of our car, lay it out in the parking lot to clean off, and we're getting everything else cleaned up, and we're getting paper towels. And the wonderful people of Pilot in the middle of nowhere on Interstate 75 said, would you like to use one of our showers? I was like, you have a shower? That's like, yes, yes we would. So we showered everybody off, we got everything cleaned up, we went and bought another car seat at the Walmart close by. That tells you everything you need to know right there how bad it was. We get everybody back in. We get everything back in. That was unpack number two. The third one, we're so close. At this point, it's about 10, 1030 at night. We are exhausted. We are ready to be there. We are at the last leg of the journey, 30 minutes away from Becky's family's house across the river in Indiana. And this is that last part that goes from population to no population. Like it's just windy roads down to the river until you cross over. So nothing is around. We're 30 minutes away. Our car dies. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So we barely, the battery light comes on, the alternator had died. So we don't have much battery life left. We, we kind of put into another gas station, park our car. We call my, my, uh, my sister-in-law said, 
We're stranded 30 minutes from your house. Can you come and get us? So they get their van out there. And for the third and final time, <laughs> unload everything in a parking lot into my wife's sister's van. And we finally get there about midnight. Now, good news. We got a new battery and everything worked out. We're all good now. But it was the worst trip ever that we've experienced. It was terrible. Now, the rest of the trip was great. We prayed for a boring trip on the way home, which we had. Thank God we had a boring trip on the way back home. Now, I couldn't laugh about it last week, but I can laugh about it now. It's funny today. It wasn't funny last week. But this was kind of a good reminder, right? It's neat how when you go through life situations like that, God just kind of reminds you of certain things. He doesn't necessarily fix it, but he reminds you of things. And here was the reminder that God put on my heart, that there was a lot on that trip, a lot on that road that we could not control. And a lot of things went wrong on that one trip. So there's a lot of things on the road I can't control. The one thing I can control is what road I'm on. Because we were on the right road the entire time. Right, that was, that was on me to, to be on the right road because we, we did get to our destination. We got to where we were wanting to go and we made it back to, to when we wanted to get home, back to where we wanted to go. So the destination wasn't a problem. The road itself, the road we were on was not the problem because those were the things that I can control. But even being on the right road, you still run into problems, don't you? Even being on the right road with the right destination, you're still gonna run into things. So it was a good reminder, especially New Year with all these New Year's resolutions. I feel like there's a little bit of a danger with the resolutions. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying I think they're overrated maybe. In the sense of we look in our past and say, man, all those things that we wanna be better, we're gonna do all these different and better things this new year and somehow life's gonna be so much better. And I just don't think that's the case. Like, I'm all for improvement and growth and development. I'm all for those things. As long as we're putting it in the right order. I think we put maybe too much emphasis on, I've got to do all these right things and everything will work out. Because again, there's a lot on the road that you're on that you are not going to be able to control. You're going to have problems on the road that you're on. We, even if you did all these resolutions that you've set out to do, you're still gonna have problems that maybe you just couldn't foresee or that you couldn't control that are still gonna happen on that road. What is in your control is the road you choose to be on, the direction you go, who you choose to follow. So this morning, what I want us to do is hit pause on New Year's resolutions for a second. Some of you are like, I forget that, I hit pause, I hit quit. So <laughs> bear with me, regardless where you're at in that whole situation, pause long enough to step back from the resolutions and say, but what road am I on? What direction am I heading? New Year's resolutions completed in the wrong direction does you no good. So let's make sure we're on the right road first. If you're around somebody long enough, you hear them say the same thing over and over again, don't you? Right? You, you, I see wives starting to do this. Yes, you hear the same story from your husband over and over and over again. I do this as a parent. I tell my kids like the same things over and over and over. Half of it's because they're not listening. The other half is just because it's really important. Right? We tell our kids all the time we want them to be three things, respectful, responsible, and resilient. And we constantly come back to those things. And yes, Dad, we know we're supposed to be responsible, respectful, and resilient. We know. But it's so important that I say it over and over and over again. Becky hears the same things from me over and over and over again. You're around somebody long enough, you hear them say the same things. Because it's important to them. You get to know somebody by what's important to them. If you've been around me long enough as a pastor, you've heard me say some of the same things over and over and over again, like we stumble in the right direction, that he's the king and I'm not, different things like that that, that are important to me. What we're gonna do this morning, for some of you, is not going to be new. 
In fact, you're gonna sit there like, I think I've seen and heard some of this before. And I'm like, yes, absolutely, it's that important. For some of you, it will be new that you weren't here, you haven't heard me say this before, but understand the importance in repetition. Truly, personally speaking, I would love for every single one of you to get to a point where you've heard this from me long enough that you could preach today better than me because it's that important. But even though it's that important, we tend to forget it or we tend to still get things out of order. So as we look at the road we're on this morning, pause long enough to see what direction are you heading, what path are you on. Let, if this is familiar, not just be a reminder, but let it start to sink in deep. And if it is new for you this morning, Man, don't let this just be another Sunday. Understand the magnitude and the importance of what we're gonna go through this morning. Because what it all comes down to is a hope that we all have called new life. That's what it's about. We do New Year's resolutions because we wanna experience new life and this better life and this good life. We want things to change. Spiritually speaking, you hear us talk a lot about new life. In fact, our church is all about more life change. So the question is, are we on a path that leads to this or not? How do we get it? What do we do when we have it? There's a lot of questions that are surrounded this idea of new life. And I'm telling you, a New Year's resolution won't get you there. So let's get on the right path in the right direction. And let's make sure we're saying it over and over and over again. If you've got a Bible, head over to Luke chapter 5. Luke 5 is a great story about a man named Matthew. In fact, Matthew that wrote the book Matthew, that's the Matthew we're talking about. In Luke, his account, he's actually gone, and he goes by another name of Levi. So if you're getting confused of Matthew, Levi, they're the same person. Both tax collectors, both disciples of Jesus, they are the same person. So Levi, Matthew, Matthew, Levi, author of what we know as Matthew. We're going to read about his story in the book of Luke, though. So he'll be referred to as Levi. And as we go through this story, it's, very, it's a kind of a common story when it comes to Jesus calling his disciples. Peter and, and here Matthew or Levi, I mean, I, all these different people that Jesus called, they all have a very similar story that I think will resonate with you as well. Here's the story. Luke chapter five, starting in verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Say those two words with me. One, two, three. Follow me. Good. It's, gonna, oh, it's all today's about. It's right there, those two words from Jesus. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained, they whined, they murmured. Here's their issue. They complained to Jesus' disciples, and here's what they asked. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you eat and drink and associate and hang out with people like that? Why? Verse 31, Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, what's interesting about that story is it doesn't just resonate with the rest of the disciples. I would say it resonates with you and I as well. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer, a Christian, then you have been through that story, at least a, por a portion of it. If not, you're going to find yourself in the middle of that story somewhere. See, every single one of us is found sitting, living our own lives. Here, Levi was sitting at his tax collector's booth, doing his job, living his life. I'm sure he had his own New Year's resolutions of all the things he wanted to accomplish and do this next year. And then something messed all that up. Jesus showed up. What were the two words he told? Follow me. 
He looks at Levi and says, I know you've got your life. I know you've got your job. I know you got this and that and these things. I know you're aiming for this and you're planning for that and you're working towards this. I know you've got your life planned out. I know you're living the way that you want to live, but follow me. Leave it all behind, let it all go, and follow me. And then from following Jesus, our life radically changes, doesn't it? See, that's the story of following Jesus. The very basis, and we all have different stories, and whether you found Jesus and he found you at eight years old or in your 20s or later in life, or maybe you're still wrestling with that, that's how it goes. It's an invitation from Jesus where he reaches out in the middle of our lives that we're living in our own way. He says, would you be willing to leave everything to follow me? Which leaves us with a big choice. It's either a yes, I'll follow you, or a no, I'm good, I'll stick with my way. And then we see that everything else changes after that. But the order here is unbelievably important. Again, if, if this is, whether we would use this language or not, we want better things in life. We want to be better in life. We want that new life, that good life, whatever you want to call it. But how do we get to that? What's the road to getting to it? Because, again, the road to that new life is still difficult. The road after that is still difficult. But let's make sure we're on the right road. So I want us to go back through this story, chop it up a little bit, because we're going to see a progression as we go through Levi's story, which, again, is going to be very similar to our story. So get the order right. If we start at the very beginning, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out, saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Those two words, say them again. Follow me, Jesus said to him. Now, at this point, before anything else has happened, Levi hasn't done a thing hasn't done a thing. Jesus saw Levi and said those two words, follow me. Before Levi had done anything at all, he received God's love, God's acceptance through Jesus. Nowhere did Levi stop Jesus. Hey, 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 Jesus, question. I'm thinking about following you. What do I need to do? Jesus doesn't come to Levi and says, I would love for you to follow me, but let's go through some things that have to change first. Levi didn't submit a resume of here's why I think I should be allowed to follow you or why I should be called to follow you, Jesus. No, none of that happened. It started simply and significantly with Jesus saying, follow me. Levi didn't earn anything. He didn't deserve anything. Yet Jesus reached out his hand and said, would you be willing to follow me? Without earning it, without deserving it. After Jesus said, follow me, verse 28, now Levi has a decision to make, doesn't he? There's a big gap between here and here. It's called the decision. <laughs> it's the moment when we say yes or no. It's the moment where Levi has to choose, do I follow him or do I not follow him? And I love how much had to have gone through Levi's head in this split second moment. Even though it was truly just seconds, it had to have felt like an eternity for Levi sitting there at his tax collector's booth, his job, his life, minding his own business. Jesus wrecks it all and says, come and follow me. And he's like, I gotta make a decision. I, I, I don't know what I should do. I mean, I've kind of got my life planned out and what I wanna do and where I wanna go and where I see myself. And then Jesus is saying, go that way. And nowhere in here does Jesus give guarantees. Come follow me for a better life. He doesn't say, come follow me for a new life. Come follow me and everything will work out great. No, he just says, come follow me. Levi had to have been wondering, is this the right decision? Is this the wrong decision? What, what if? Think of the what if scenarios that would have gone through his head. 
But in that split second moment, he makes the greatest decision of his life. Verse 28, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him and followed Jesus. He didn't even say anything, did he? Just by his actions of Jesus saying, follow me. I love you. I've already accepted you. But will you choose to follow me? In the midst of that decision, Levi had to say yes or no. Is it following his way, his own way, or is it following Jesus' way and staying in line with him? The moment he said yes, the moment Levi said yes in his heart, and he got up, he left everything, and followed him, he received that new life. Because no longer is he known as Levi, the tax collector. He's got a new life now. It's now Levi, the follower of Jesus. He's now someone new. He started a new life, and the old life he can't go back to. Not even spiritually speaking, physically speaking. He's a tax collector at his tax collector's booth. What do tax collectors probably have a lot of at their tax collector's booth? A lot of what? Money. So he decides to get up, leave everything, and follow Jesus. What did he leave out on the table? A whole lot of money. We don't know how that story went down. Could you imagine if Levi goes to follow Jesus and says, you know what, this new life thing isn't really working out. I'm gonna go back to my old life. Goes to the Roman Empire and says, can I have my job back as a tax collector? What do you think they're gonna tell him? Of course not. They're gonna say, no. There's no way we would ever give you that responsibility and job back. You left your post. He has no one to go back to. This get up, leave everything and follow Jesus is not being an exaggeration. He truly got up, left everything and followed Jesus. And in doing so, he received a new life. Here's what happens next. He leaves everything. He follows Jesus. Verse 29. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Remember their complaint, their question? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why in the world? Now, before we get to the why question, go back to what Levi did. Levi held a great banquet for all of his other friends and Jesus. You see, what he experienced in Jesus now led him to do something with it, to do something about it. Church lingo, we use that word good deeds. We get that out of James chapter one. Good deeds or good works. It's basically just actions. It's the things that we do. Now that we have a new life, now we live a certain way in that new life. We're living out that new life and our actions show it, don't they? And what I love about following Levi's good deeds and what he did, check this out. So what he did was he invited a bunch of other people like him to meet Jesus. All he's doing, all Levi is doing is imitating what Jesus did for him over here. What did Jesus do? He said, Levi, would you follow me? So what is Levi now doing for all these other tax collectors and sinners, as they would call them? He's saying, hey, come and meet Jesus. It's an invitation. All Levi is doing is imitating the one he's following, right? That's what it means to follow somebody in a new life, doesn't it? Every step, if Jesus takes this step, I take this step. If Jesus goes this step, I go that step. If Jesus goes this way, I go that way. We talk like Jesus, we walk like Jesus. We live like Jesus. Remember the good old days, the what would Jesus do bracelets? I'm not saying we bring those back. <laughs> but there's some truth to it though too, isn't there? That's what Levi's asking. He's like, well, now that I have this new life of following Jesus, well, what would he do in this situation? How would he respond? 
How would he act? And he does what Jesus did for him. It's interesting, the more you're around Jesus, the more you become like him. The more you're around Jesus, the more you begin to imitate him. That's what we're seeing with Levi. Because of the new life that he has now gained by saying yes to Jesus and following him, his actions are starting to show that. They're starting to catch up with the new life that he's been given. That great banquet is just Jesus, is Levi living out this new life that he has with Jesus. But as we said, there's some people that didn't get that, right? He had this great banquet, invited a bunch of people to come and hear and meet Jesus, the one that changed his life. But those Pharisees, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law, complained to the disciples, again, their question, the why question, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. This last part is what the Pharisees struggled with. This last part is oftentimes where we even struggle. Sometimes even unintentionally, I would even say unknowingly, that it becomes all about the me. Here's what I mean by the me, the I. The Pharisees could not rationalize in their minds. They could not wrap their head around why Jesus would love someone like Levi. Because Levi didn't do anything to deserve or earn it. He had not done a thing. And Jesus said, come and follow me. The Pharisees were so wrapped up in their own works the things that they did well. They made it all about me. And when you make something all about the me, you start to separate people that are not like me. And you start to compare everyone that's not as good as me and saying, well, they and I, but they did and I do. Do you see the difference there? And the Pharisees had made it so much about the me and the law that they followed and the work that they did and everything about them and their puffed up egos that they could not, they could not understand how Jesus could love and invite someone like Levi to follow him. They made it all about the me. And Jesus was clear in his answer back to him. He's like, you're missing the point. You've missed it greatly. That's kind of our story of following Jesus, isn't it? We're living our own life, not doing anything to earn or deserve it, and Jesus radically steps into our life in some way, we all have a different story, where he says, come follow me. I love you, no matter what. Come follow me, and we have a choice to make. Do we say yes to following him, or do we say, no, I'm good, I'm gonna go my own way? If we say yes, then we experience this new life. A life that we can't walk away from, because it's our new life, there's not an old life to go back to. And out of that new life, we start to experience the, that change. And that's where people start to notice things. We see things different. We live differently. We start to care about what Jesus cares about. As we follow him, we want to become more and more like him. But we always struggle with this last part. Always. Even as we've gone through all of this, we always struggle with this last part of feeling like we're responsible for more than we're responsible for. That's where the New Year's resolutions come in, doesn't it? Well, if I have all of these great New Year's resolutions and I start to work and change things, maybe life will look a little bit different. We put so much of that burden and responsibility on ourselves. In fact, it starts to look and feel and sound a little bit like this. Not just with New Year's resolutions, but that's a big piece of it. We say, okay, this next year, I'm gonna make some things different. I'm gonna make some changes this next year. I'm gonna do this, and I'm not gonna do that, and I'm gonna start this, and I'm gonna stop that. You see what's happening? It's a bunch of I's and me's, isn't it? 
So we start with that and we start to build our, not just year, but we start to build our lives on me. We put all the responsibility on me. It's my job, it's my effort. And if I work hard enough and I have the right ideas and I have the right game plan and the right resolutions, then I'm gonna do more of the good stuff. I'm gonna have some actions this year that's gonna change my life. It's gonna change everybody else's life. I have a lot I've gotta work on, I've got a lot I gotta do. I need to do more of the good stuff, less of the bad stuff. And we put all that on me. We put all that on ourselves to do better. And hoping that the more we do better, the better we do, then we get to experience that new life. That this year's gonna be so much different that this year's gonna be so much better because I'm doing so much better and I'm making more of a point to it and I'm working so much harder. I'm going to build this new life. I'm gonna build it for me. And then maybe, spiritually speaking, if I build this new life, God's gonna be super proud of me. He's gonna look down from heaven after all of his creation and say, yep, that's why I made you. He said, look at all you've built, Brian. You've worked so hard and you've done so much. You've built this whole new life. Well, of course I love you now. Of course I'm going to accept you now. Now, I'm not saying we intentionally go out to build our lives this way, but this is what we end up doing. This is our tendency to make everything about me and what I need to do so that I build a new life so that I can impress God. Then I start to say, well, God, of course you need to do things for me because look at everything I've done. God, of course you need to answer the prayers I want the way I want to answer because look at all I've done. It becomes about me. Now when we build it like this, it becomes awfully shaky, doesn't it? Because what happens if you have a bad day? Good deeds get knocked out. What does that do the rest of your life? What happens if you have a bad week? Gets knocked out and the rest of your life starts to crumble. What happens if you just aren't strong enough? We did a series a couple months ago called Under Pressure. This is a lot of weight on one person, too much weight on any person. At some point, we all have a breaking point. At some point, we're all gonna buckle underneath this massive amount of pressure and weight. What happens when you kick the me out from under this? If you've ever heard it said, or maybe you've heard it yourself, my life's falling apart, it's because it was built like this. There's a lot of unforeseen circumstances and things outside of your control, I get that, but life falls apart when it's not built well. And I don't mean doing all the right things, I mean built well. If your life's falling apart, I mean, there's gonna be an element of truth in this somewhere. So my guess is this is how we enter the new year. I can do this better, I'm gonna work harder at this, I'm gonna make sure this works, because I wanna experience a new life. And then we just throw God's love on top of it somewhere, because it has to fit somewhere, doesn't it? This doesn't work. It's shaky at best and it will fall apart eventually. And it's not what we see through scripture. It's not how Jesus called. It's not how Levi experienced his story. It's not how any of the disciples experienced it. What we see is quite the opposite, isn't it? Where it starts is God's love. Levi didn't do anything. Jesus said, what were the two words again? Follow me. Before Levi did a thing, follow me. Before Levi asked anything, it was follow me. It was an I accept you and I love you. Will you follow me? The New Testament is full of that, helping us understand that. 
Paul writes in Romans that God demonstrated his love for us by this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you and me before we did anything to earn it or deserve it. Paul writes in Ephesians that it's by grace that we are saved, through our faith, not our works. And the reason he puts that in there, he says, not by our works so that no one can boast. It's not, hey, look at all the good things I've done, so I've earned salvation, I've earned God's love, and I've earned God's acceptance. No, Paul makes it very, very clear. No, we are saved by grace. Grace, you know what it means, right? You don't deserve it, and you can't earn it. That's how it starts. Jesus looks at you and me before we've done anything to earn it or deserve it, and he says, follow me. Then we have a choice to make, don't we? Just like Levi had a choice to make, If we say yes to following Jesus, we say yes to his free and open invitation, then we are given new life. Second Corinthians speaks to that. It says, if anyone is in Christ, two key words there, if and anyone. Are you part of anyone? Are you part of anyone? Some of you aren't sure. Are you part of anyone? Yes. Second Corinthians says, if anyone anyone is in Christ, it says, you are a new creation. It says, the old is gone, the new is here. New life is given the moment we say, yes, I'll follow you. We haven't even changed anything yet. We've just said, okay, and we get up and we leave everything like Levi and we follow Jesus. And we get new life. We don't build new life. You get new life because of what Jesus has done for you already. And you receive that new life. Oh, and now everything changes. You know, this is why we celebrate baptisms, because it's such a big deal. Baptisms is celebrating this. Pay attention. Baptism is not doing this. That's important. It celebrates what we've been given, the new life that we have, the new creation. Colossians tells us that we are, we buried, baptism is a burial with Christ, and we are raised to, do you know what it is? To new life. We're doing baptisms next week for you and for me. Brian, I've already been baptized. Why are you doing a baptism for me? Oh, so you can remember what it was like when you went under that water and came back out. If you've been baptized, will you just for a moment think back to that moment? The moment you recognize what you had, what you have been given. So yeah, baptism is for people that haven't been baptized yet. Oh, it's just as much for those that have to be reminded of the moment and to go there in your heart and mind and to relive it again and again and again. So we're gonna do that next week. We're gonna baptize people and then we're gonna reminisce. Parents, if you've got kids that are asking questions about baptism, we have kid faith next week that our team, along with you and your kids together, will walk through salvation and baptism and and this whole thing. Head out in the lobby, sign up. You'll see a big, big sign that says kid faith next week. Let us help you walk through these first two stages of your journey. After new life, things do start to change, don't they? We start to think differently, live differently, talk differently. People start to say, there's something weird about you. What's different? You're like, let me tell you what's different about me. We don't do this perfectly. Thank God it's not up to us doing this perfectly because guess what doesn't move when we don't do this right? Those two things. But I'm gonna do my best because I wanna do my best because of how important these things are. Things like the fruit of the Spirit start coming out. You know, that whole love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, so on. You know those things? Those start to come out here. That whole list that you read about in in the New Testament, well, we're supposed to do this, we're not supposed to do that, we're supposed to live this way and not that way. Yeah, that's important because of who we're following. Yesterday was Saturday, which means cleaning day in our house. 
So we cleaned rooms and cleaned kitchens and cleaned everything else. Why did we do that? Well, it's not because if I don't, my parents don't love me. My kids might think that sometimes. It's not true. <laughs> no, we clean the house because we love our family and we do things as a family. We live this way because he first loved us. Please don't mix those up. Paul tells us in Ephesians that we are to be imitators of God, imitators of him. We live like he lived. We talk and walk like he did. We're told in James, he said it over and over. And you talk about repetition, read James. He said, faith without works is, do you know it? Dead. <laughs> faith without good deeds is useless, worthless, dead. But the faith has to be there. But yeah, our good deeds show that. He said, even the demons believe. But if you have a new life, you live differently. First John tells us we love because he first loved us. Not he loves us because we first loved him. Don't mix those up. We live this way. We love because he first loved us. Last and certainly not least is little old me. But it's a different perspective when you build it this way. It's no longer what I have to do. It's more of who I am. When you build your life this way and follow Jesus this way, he turns you into someone that he desires. You are growing and you're developing and you're changing because of who he wants you to be. And those talents and those abilities and those capabilities and those resources, those experiences that you have, he uses for the good of so many other people and for his kingdom to impact the lives of other people. Like Levi, you start to see a man that changed other people's lives as Jesus worked through it. So no, it's not about me but it's who I am becoming all because he first loved me. In this new year, don't mess this part up. Don't build it backwards and upside down. What road are you on? Before you start worrying about this and this, can we focus on this and this? The rest will begin to build itself. And when you have some bad days, there's some things that never move, ever. So I don't know what those next steps are for you. You could kind of look through this and I've been praying all week for you that God would prompt you that you just need to say yes to his acceptance. Two words again, last time I'll make you say them, what were they? Follow me. You just need to say yes. Levi didn't say a thing. He didn't pray a certain prayer. He didn't ask a certain question. He just said, okay, and he got up and followed him. Maybe you're there. Maybe you need to celebrate this new life. I'll be ready for you for baptism next week. Talk with me, email me, do whatever you gotta do, but man, let's get it ready to rock and roll next week to celebrate what you have been given, not what you have built and made for yourself. Maybe you need to change some things here. Sure, we should always be changing things and growing and learning, serving, giving, inviting, encouraging, challenging, helping, compassion, all those things that Jesus did, we should be modeling in our life. Sure, stop sitting on your hands in other words. Maybe you just need to see yourself a little differently. You are a child of God and he is turning you in to his masterpiece. Allow him to do the work in you instead of you trying to do it on your own. If you'll close your eyes with me, I'm gonna pray for us. My biggest prayer is that you would, you would take a next step and more importantly, the right next step. Great resolutions and great intentions on the wrong direction and the wrong road will lead you nowhere. 
So get on the right road, get on the right path, follow Jesus with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you for the life that you have given us. May we stop building upside down. Lord, may we recognize the importance of you in our life. That you alone are good and you alone are our savior and you alone are our king. You alone are our Lord. So let's act like it and live it and proclaim it. Jesus, thanks for loving us before we did anything to earn it or deserve it. May we never forget it. May we continually celebrate the new life that you've given us. And may every single breath of our lives be thanking you and living that life out. Jesus, thank you for being our everything, and we mean that. It's not just a cliche word in church on a Sunday morning at 9.30. We mean it, that you alone are everything. Thank you for being our everything. In Jesus' name.